Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. We've got Katie Flower in the co-host chair. We've also got a special guest, Scott Connor here, owner of Dynasty and Chill. He hosts, uh, does a lot of recording himself, uh, so this will be old hat for him. Chasing the Helmet is one of his shows, as well as being a writer over at DLF. Uh, so great to have you, Scott. And uh, we'll get to a lot of the things that, that you're working on as the show progresses. But I kind of wanted to start uh, almost like a psychological question, because we all have them and sort of doing a self-analysis here. What's your, over the years, or maybe right now, something that you're working on, what's your dynasty trading bad habit? You know, what's what's the the thing you get sucked into like a vortex and you can either sense it at the time or it's something you're still kind of working through of when I make bad trades, it's because of this. Yeah, good question. I think one of the, the things that I'm trying to rectify this year is um, I have a bad habit of chasing the late day two, early day three running backs that are the quote unquote injury away. Uh, do it every year. Uh, looking at my portfolio right now, I'm at double figure shares of Anthony McFarland, Darrington Evans, Joshua Kelly, Justice Hill, Alexander Madison. I mean, you go on. If you look at the last five years, just worth the data on on this section of players, and I know Jordan's done some work on this too, but they're, they're bad bets. You're basically betting that they luck slash earn some opportunity because maybe they're a little bit better, but uh, they're very just as just as frequently, if not more frequently, just replaced with a similar player the next year. So. I found myself way too many picks and you know, you gravitate towards picking those guys because you do get to that part of the draft. You don't want to draft the wide receiver 18 off the board. You know, a guy that was a fourth or fifth round pick, uh, all the quarterbacks that are relevant are gone at that point. So you think, okay, I'm getting a running back like Darrington Evans. He's an injury away on the Titans. All it takes is, you know, a Derrick Henry calf strain and he can maybe have some relevance for a couple weeks. Uh, but just historically, I think there's been 33 of those guys drafted over the last six years that are like, between mid third and later and mid fourth and earlier almost it's like a five percent hit rate in terms of them actually moving in terms of value so it's almost like if you don't sell them when they actually have that pocket of value you've lost there too Uh, so just chasing too many of those i made way too many josh kelly anthony mcparland darrington evans picks last year lynn bowden lamichael p ryan i mean you go on um would have rather used those picks either to move up earlier before the tiers got established or just kicking the can down the road, you know, future two future thirds instead of making a 3.01 or something like that. I, I just made that mistake and I'm trying. Unfortunately, this year's class is kind of lining up to be like, what, six to eight more guys in that range probably. And I'm going to have to just resist the temptation to chase. So I'd say that's been a big thing that I want to rectify. Okay. Yeah. Anthony McFarlane, I go back over and over of a lot of the shares I got, where's that late second, early third round rookie draft last year that I got sucked in because I was like, you know, I kind of like the profile enough. It's a little bit ambiguous with that depth chart. And yet here we are. And, and frankly, not taking a shot on someone like Chase Claypool. So it kind of combines with, you know, just, just chase the profile, chase the upside, even if they are boom bust like Claypool. It could be explosive and great, and explosive and great can kind of drive market value as well. You know, all it takes is we saw one big game from Claypool. You got options, and McFarland just sitting here a year later, going, eh, "Is he going to survive my rookie draft cuts?" You know, that's always a key part for me. Like you're yep. saying, the non liquidity, and obviously they could change your season, James Conner. Like they could change your season if you get that role. But like you're saying, they're probably not going to be a sustaining. Oh, we're going to move on from set. You know, like you said, Derrick Henry. All of a sudden, Derrick Henry doesn't matter matter to us because Darrington Evans put up two, three good games. You're either going to roll with that and that's kind of what you get, or you got to flip them then, you know, and, and could you go second to first or get equity, you know, in season if that occurs. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that's definitely a good one. What, what about you, Katie, whether it's trading or drafting, is there something that you're kind of working on uh, self-scouting? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that I have overcome some things which which is from the self-scouting process that has helped like for example um, i know you were just talking about running backs that are 
an injury away or chasing different profiles and things like that. But one of the things that I've learned from the Kenneth Dixons and, uh, you know, C, uh, ProSice and all of those guys from, from that draft class is if there are running backs that are not drafted in the first couple of rounds in the NFL draft, rather than taking that marginal running back and pushing them up the ladder in late first, early second round, go ahead and take the wide receiver as the best player available, especially if there's five or six in the first round of the NFL draft. Even though you, again, we always talk about going for best player available, but um, it's, it's sometimes hard to execute when you're looking at the board and you really like a certain running back, maybe their combine or their draft position didn't change your opinion quick enough and I think part of that happens when you are involved with Debbie and you've been following these guys for three or four years before they even make it to the NFL. It's kind of hard to loosen your grasp. So I've been able to successfully start to change that. But that was one of my bad habits was chasing the running back, even though they didn't have the draft capital to back it up. When they start fading down the NFL draft yeah, board and when we get new information is kind of what you're saying. I was going to say, I'm actually, if you just take a, a, a stock super flex league this year, I mean, I'm kind of banking five quarterbacks, three running backs, Pitts and Jamar Chase are going to make up of the bulk of basically they're going to be locked in 10 first round picks in most leagues. I think then you get into this range where it's like, there's probably eight to 10 profile receivers that are going to be better than the RB four, RB five, RB six, but you're kind of banking on, I know I'm personally banking on if I'm sitting at a early to mid second round pick, I'm banking on the Trey Sermon going in the second round. I'm banking on Kenneth Gainwell going in the second round or insert running back four, five, six, seven going on day two to where people are going to say, well, scarcity is going to have to drive that pick up. So I'm going to pick the RB five over, you know, you insert however you tier those receivers from like two to 10, but I'm banking that people are going to reach and take the running back just because there's not a lot of options. So I'm actually hoping that there's, people in leagues actually follow what you're saying, Katie. And you got, cause, cause you got suckered into, let's see, Daryl Henderson, a couple of years ago, this happened all of a sudden, like a month after the NFL draft, he's going in the late first round out of nowhere. And it's all narrative. Same with Keyshawn Vaughn last year. I mean, if those are two examples, I'm hoping it happens again with probably Sermon and Gainwell, if I had to bet, but Michael Carter, Kylan Hill, whoever it is, I mean, whoever goes late day two, I think are going to get pushed up over much better profile receivers. And it varies by class. I mean, obviously the wide receivers are better this year than maybe your typical one. Um, but usually round two rookie draft is, is not a good place. You know, if, unless you're very particular about what wide receivers, if they go into this zone or if this NFL draft situation happens, then I'm in it's sort of everything, you know, we all turned our key and that means I'm going to invest in this wide receiver because typically it's not good, especially if you have to hold for those first 12 to 24 months. And it's like, well, what probability wise, what am I getting out of this? Um, that's a dicey investment historically. So you'd want those running backs, but it just feels like this is going to be like 2016. You're going to, you're going to get early day three, like you said, or maybe late day two that doesn't warrant it going into a range of top 10, top 15, top 20, where it's going to be a bumpy road because the profiles aren't great uh, to kind of get you there. Um, in terms of a platform because you're a high stakes player, Scott. I wanted to ask because I've heard dissenting opinions over the years about this of if you play in a $50 league versus a $500 or a $1,000 league that I've heard you know, both ways that, oh, well, it's actually easier to play in the high stakes leagues. Or some people say, you know, it, you know, some people in $50 leagues just don't care at all. And sometimes it's vice versa. Have you noticed a difference in level of entry fee or level of prestige of platform, let's call it? Have you noticed a difference in just the global either acumen, competitive level, or accessibility of positive ROI, all these types of things in the, the depth of league or level of league that you play? Love the question. I think this is something that doesn't get talked about enough in the space. Uh, when, when you start talking money, I think people kind of shy away from it a lot of times. Um, so typically when I play really high stakes, I'm playing redraft. I'm a big FFPC high stakes player. You know, that's, I would say that's like the serious money that I play in. Dynasty, I've, I play in a lot of leagues. I've been real meticulous about joining leagues that are, you know, less than a hundred dollars a buy-in just because you do get, you know, you see a little bit more turnover in those leagues. Um, you know, especially if they're ones where you don't have to pay in advance. I mean, that's a different show. Um, but I've also found 
you know, I'm in some dynasty leagues. I think my most expensive dynasty league, that's not like an FFPC league, like a true dynasty um, is like $400 buy-in. And I've actually found once you get to a range like that, people are scared to make moves. Like people are scared to make big bets. And so there is a sweet spot. I think, I think once you get below, you know, $75, $50, then you get into some, well, I'm just going to do whatever. It's not a true market sample. You know what I mean? Uh, but once you get too high, I've also heard from other people that have been in leagues that are even bigger than that, that are, they don't really like it because everyone just plays everything so close to the vest. They're very, very risky, risk averse in terms of making trades, making big moves, draft picks, uh, just very conservative. And I don't want to play in that type of league either because a lot of my, you know, I'm in 55 leagues. So a lot of my skill comes in the process, roster construction. I'm not the player. I'm not the person to ask about players. I'll tell you about profiles, but you know, you come to me and you say, what receiver's better? You know, the wide receiver 44 or 41. I don't know. To me, they're in the same tier. I'm looking at my ownership and saying, I want to be pretty balanced between those two guys. So that would sway for me, whether I would take the deal. So I'm, I'm, pro- I'm winning on process most of the time. So leagues where people just aren't doing anything. And I literally just have, it's basically me versus Chad versus Katie and whoever picks the best players wins that's a crapshoot. I I can be a better player than you, but you might hit on the draft pick and I might not. And the process was the same. So I I don't like leagues where there's very little activity. And I've found that in higher stakes leagues that people are just too close to the vest. So I think there's a sweet spot, maybe between like a hundred and $200, I think is pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say one other thing on that is that I've joined the FFPC, which I love how you almost snuck it in there. A little curveball where you say, "Eh, it's not really dynasty because I agree with you. You know, it's a hybrid. It's a keeper league because of these sharp cut downs. But it seems like, you know, the ones that I've joined now that are 250, 500, that seems to be kind of the middle ground sweet spot. I would imagine when you go 1250, 2500, 5000 that they have, I don't know if they go above that. I would imagine there is a lot more close to the vest. And like you said, I think that middle ground sweet spot, because I've seen a lot of trades, even if I've just joined the, joined the league, you know, uh, two, three, two, three months ago, that there's already been a lot of action, you know, around that, that deadline of, of cut downs. And so you really want to keep that fertile environment because it sounds like you're almost that grinder mentality, Scott, like I am, where it's like just doing ev- all the basics, right? Never missing a waiver claim, you know, a-, a waiver period, always being up on it. When I think there's someone to sell, be proactive and send a bunch of offers. And a lot of people don't do the basics where we talk about know your league, know your league mates if you can find tendencies, who trades their picks away, who, who wants to get picks. If you know the basics and you never miss waiver wires, you kind of know what's going on, you're setting lineups, you're being optimal. A lot of that, I mean, there's going to be two, three, four in every league that don't do those things. And they're already going to be an uphill climb. Um, so I would be interested, you know, for, you know, for people that play 2,500 and, you know, all these high, high, high ones, if there really is, like you said, that almost uh, um, idea to be scared and it's like, uh, I don't know. And they play it, do the redrafts, you know, the, the, the higher level redrafts, is that commonly that way where there's minimal trading and just very much a redraft is kind of that way anyway. But um, do you find it's a lot of just you draft and it's kind of you're in, in your own ecosystem and universe with the waiver wire and that's kind of it? So in FFPC redraft, there is no trading. Uh, It is strictly just draft. It's not best ball, but it's draft, set lineups, waiver wire. That's it. Uh, Now, I think, again, kind of the caveat of FFPC to me isn't real dynasty because it is the way it is set up. It is set up for you to be able to take over a team. And with the right process, you can rebuild an FFPC team in one year, especially if you know positional values and you understand that, hey, everyone's going to have to cut down to 14 players you know, how do I attack that? Even if I take over a bad team. So I can see where there is a little more room for error on the margins in those leagues because it's so shallow. Um, so you can immediately take over a team and say, okay, I know what kind of construction I need to get to. Let me, let me, let me fish out some offers and see what I'd be willing to do that even in a $5,000 league because you kind of know where you need to get to, but it's easier to get there in a 14-man roster league than it is you know, one where you take over an orphan team and there is a stack team or two stack teams, it's going to take you, you know, three rookie drafts probably and a lot of savvy moves to get there. So I think that system breeds actually for you to be able to have a, you know, a four figure level in terms of a yearly buy-in. Whereas, you know, some of the other leagues, I, I personally, even if I love the challenge and I had unlimited funds, I don't necessarily want to take over a really bad orphan in a $5,000 league where 
you know, it's a 14 team super flex and I'm going against a guy that has, you know, 12 top 50 assets on his team already. Like that's just, to me, it's going to be too much work and the ROI over the long period is going to be too much. It's like so the big stack a at a poker table, you're... right? It's like they, they go with the right. big stack. I remember some of those poker movies, uh, you know, it's just like, that's almost as good as what the cards you have, you know, of how you can bully mm-hmm. people. And, uh, and yeah, I love what you said there that, uh, you know, that it, FFPC really is conducive for, uh, for folks to turn things around just because of the liquidity. Cause frankly, you could sell your best player and get two or three quality players because there's always people looking to shed depth, you know, even if it's the middle part of their roster because of cut downs, you know, because of that natural, uh, filtering out that you have to do, uh, to get down every single off season. Like you said, you can just catch up and the waiver wire. There's always, that's the thing I had to adjust to in FFPC is every week you don't realize like all of a sudden you're looking, you know, over your shoulder, like, uh, this guy again, where it's someone you highly value in another one of your leagues, but it's like near the waiver wire and cut line every single week. Because the running backs, you know, that now have a better opportunity are out there. They're starting caliber in one quarterback leagues and one tight end. I mean, they're, it's amazing to have a new perspective on how shallow it is than what you're used to in your other leagues. So I've got a two-part question. Um, which way do you prefer to obtain your teams, startup, orphan, or dispersal draft? And then second part of the question, what's your favorite format as far as settings and roster size? So to answer your first question, I think that I I like dispersal drafts because they're less laborious than a startup draft. Um, You know, one of the things is being a content creator, you know, I'm doing six podcasts a week, writing articles. So it is to execute a startup draft the way that I want, where you're basically always trying to maneuver the board, you know, always looking to trade up, trade down. I mean, I'm very meticulous. I'll track every single player. So I'm always constantly trying to find value every single pick, but that's laborious. You know, that can take three or four weeks of, okay, I just spent four hours today looking at this draft board, you know, going back and forth, maybe trading, sending trade offers out there, trying to get ahead of the game in terms of tiers. So I like dispersals, especially if it's a, I'll, I'll usually pick up a couple dispersals kind of in the dead period from like February to March. If it's a decent pool and it's one or two people that I'm going against, uh, I like that. Because basically, I know my strategy. I can base it off of what's in the pool. And then I'm just going to hopefully beat them in terms of how I construct my team. And I like dispersals because all value is thrown out the door, especially in leagues where you can't trade in and out. It's like you're, you're subject to what's in the pool. You have to be able to adjust. If you're just going off of ADP, you know, a lot of times you get burned there. You get stuck with big holes on your position. I don't look at dispersal teams either as like I'm going to contend year one. If I do, I do. Uh, but I want to make sure I set up my roster construction optimally. I'll worry about plugging the holes later. Um, Now, the second question, preferred format. I mean, I'm a big proponent of the 35 to 40% in terms of I need there to be at least 35 or 40% of the starting lineups to make up the total roster spots. Uh, One of the biggest flaws is, you know, I'll do team breakdowns for people and they will send me a league and it's, you know, 36 man rosters with a five person taxi and there's nine starters. And, you know, I hate to say like, there's not any merit with a lot of their players, but basically every deal you make, you should be looking to just color up to a better player. The last 20 players on your team literally don't matter unless there is a sucker in your league willing to actually trade for those guys or give you something. You know, if you can pull the wool over someone's eyes and get a four for one deal, then do it. Uh, but it, it's already setting you up for you know, failure, at least in terms of there being a true market because it's so skewed. It's only like 25% of the starters make up the total roster. So I like there to be about a 40%. Uh, so any format, it's got to be super flex. I love two QB. I love two tight end. Um, I love heavy tight end premium. You get into a two tight end with two PPR for tight ends. You better adjust the market value really quick uh, because I'll ask you guys this question in a two PPR league with start two tight ends. If you have like Darren Waller, how good does it ever feel that you're not, what can you even trade him for? I come to you and say, I want him. It's basically like um, CD lamb and like three firsts. And that's even hard for me to stomach to trade because I know they're so hard to get. So it's almost like there's a prohibitive acquisition cost in those formats too. So if you don't adjust quickly, I think you can get an edge, but um, yeah, I think it's just set it up to where there's some, there's some symmetry with the settings and the scoring uh, and then adjust from there. I don't really care what format there is. Yeah. We say that. Go ahead. In response to your question, as far as the the format does make a big difference on your strategy. And when you have, when you have to start two tight ends, whether it's a dispersal draft or a startup draft, however you obtain your team, 
you better go heavy and strong on that position early and often because tight ends are one of the hardest positions to hit on in rookie drafts. And then because everybody covets that position, if you don't have a high pick, you're going to lose out. So you're going to be constantly trying to trade and chasing your tail. It's impossible. Same thing with start two quarterbacks rather than super flex. Super flex is easy because you don't have to use a quarterback in the flex. Yes, most of the time it's advantageous, but not if you're three or four guys are uh, only scoring you seven points a game. And if the interception is minus four or minus three, you got to look at your scoring settings. You've got to look at everything when it comes to format to form your strategy. But if you get behind on any of those premium positions, forget about it. Yeah. I found that, you know, people say, Oh, you know, we want to increase the tight end position and they, they change the scoring. And I said, that really doesn't do much at all. It affects some players. It, it brings a few more players, maybe to a flex consideration, but that's about it. And you're not really moving the needle. Uh, and, and people, frankly, the biggest mistake I see is when they go into their first startup that's too tight end, whether there's premium scoring or not, they just don't have their head around it. And, and I am a classic example of years ago, I got burned bad. I, I just could not justify the player names associated with where they were going in the startup. I said no every time. I didn't draft a tight end until like around 25 plus. And it took me a few years. It was a Debbie league. I had to start drafting some Debbie tight ends. It worked out. Now I'm strong at the position, but it, it took some hard lumps for two or three years of like, I am dying. Like there just are not good waiver options. And so I really try to be proactive, uh, getting people prepped uh, for, for new leagues and new formats like that, because they just don't have a handle of, oh, like all of a sudden the baseline is moved, plus there's premium scoring. I have to be super aggressive. And what we always say is, and Katie kind of mentioned it, if, do you want to project with rookies and or Devi with tight ends, which is like, I mean, a slippery slope where someone's shooting at you, or do you want to at least just in your first four or five rounds, take a couple of them? And you're going to feel a lot better as opposed to the opposite. You know, now all of a sudden you can focus on running backs and wide receivers and some things that are a little easier uh, or you're more familiar with scouting and, and kind of trying to get that's maybe a little less developmental. Um, I was actually going to ask you super. So the two prong thing, do you think the average or the market it undervalues or overvalues the position compared to what they should? Let's say in a super flex league and a, a two quarterback setting, do you think? The, the market is kind of behind in one of these or they're over-aggressive? That's a good question. I think this year, obviously, in Superflex, uh, the market has pretty much maxed out in terms of, I mean, how many quarterbacks can you squeeze into the top 24 picks? I've done quite a few startups and uh, not shocked if you see like, and maybe Deshaun Watson falls out a little bit at this point, but I've seen a couple where the first 10 or 11 picks are quarterbacks. And I think you hit a point where we were just recently in a startup and the first nine picks were quarterbacks. Uh, including, you know, the 101, it was draft picks in the pit, in the startup draft. Um, but you got to a point and, you know, the beautiful thing is I knew there were some people in the draft that I had a feeling they were going to go heavy quarterback no matter what. And so at the, you know, the 10th quarterback off the board at the 110, they went Aaron Rodgers and then they doubled down and went, you know, Ryan Tannehill at the 203. So I'm sitting there going like, okay, I've read the room. I actually have been big this year in, I I'm trading up. I'm fine punting you know, what am I probably going to get in the second and third round? Well, it's probably going to be running backs, maybe a tight end, you know, maybe a positional advantage that I can get somewhere. Uh, but I'm happy to trade, you know, in super flex to try to capture that positional advantage. Now, two quarterback leagues, that's tough because A, I found people are less likely to trade the quarterbacks even in the startup. Um, I did a two quarterback startup and I tried the same thing. Like how many picks can I give you? to where I can start with Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray. You know, I'll worry about everything else later. Um, and then I'll probably hoard quarterbacks from you. You know, we get to the third round. If there's still, you know, Kirk Cousins, or I think one of the sneaky things is you get into these drafts where people don't really project rookie picks very well either. Uh, and you'll sit there and there'll be, you know, 24 quarterbacks off the board and the 110 draft pick is sitting on the board. Uh, this, the startup I was in, the 2QB startup, you know, they take Drew Locke goes before the 111. I'm like, okay, I mean, I get it, but there's a chance that that 111 pick could turn into a better piece that I could package up and get another quarterback versus just taking whatever next quarterback's on the board. So I don't think people adjust uh, to two quarterbacks quite, quite enough um, in the middle rounds. There's a point where 
yeah, you have to have them, but you're bypassing assets that could be a lot more flexible. And it's, it's April. You know, if I have assets that are more flexible, even if it's just trading back and getting extra future first, you know, I can leverage the fact that I'm in 50 plus leagues. I don't have to win every single league right away. Uh, so if you're willing to give me a first to move back two rounds in the startup and you're going to take Drew Locke and I'm going to get your first, plus I'm going to get probably, you know, a similarly valued wide receiver at the same spot. Like you're kind of just setting yourself up to fail. And I'm willing to take those bets all the time. You know, the kind of bets where it's like, you maybe have a 60% chance to win that trade, but the 40% chance if I win, I not only win, but you take a massive hit. So if you can pull off a couple of those, you end up potentially crippling two or three teams in your league. Maybe the next year it turns into a eight or nine man league instead of a 12 man league. So just thinking that way and thinking outside the box, that's I think one of my skills that I, other people don't always think about. And if you're not in a ton of leagues, you know, you, if you pay $100 for a league and you're only in five leagues, you're not just going to punt in all five probably. You know, you're, you're going to have a little bit of a different mindset than me. So hopefully I answered the question. But yeah, I think it's all over the map. Yeah, I think Drew Locke is a good example. Like you said, a lot of times they put it, it with what, what does it look like in March, early April? I mean, does Denver take a quarterback and all of a sudden that you, you, you took a, a bath? You know, the Drew Locke is now valued at a half and it's like you had, you've owned him for, for a month. So keep, and like you were saying, you know, 110, 111, that could be QB5. It's possible, you know, or like you said, if I always do the math and it's like, well, if all the quarterbacks go, we're talking positional player six, you know, otherwise. And so you yep. start looking at, well, even if I wanted quarterback, back there and they're gone, then I'm looking really good at the other positions. Um, but, but yeah, that, that all of a sudden they take the risky quarterbacks and that's like what you were saying is take the risk out of it. And that means if I am trading up, but here's the small subset of players I want two of, you know, or whatever your threshold is and saying that, well, I don't want to be drifting out in, in the weeds and saying, well, if my QB two is drew lock or someone of that ilk or into the twenties and it's not a veteran stopgap type of stability of role, you know, and, and, and standing there for one to two seasons, all of a sudden you're banking on something very risky. So you're boosting actually up the position. Yes, you are, but you're also doing it in the riskiest fashion possible. Because like you said, if you get future picks, those could turn into cornerstone prospects at the position that's highly valued. But yet you take Drew Locke or, or that type of player, how much runway are you getting? Um, I, I think Jalen Hurts is kind of a similar way where you might be getting this one year-ish window, but there's a lot of historical stuff fighting, you know, that, that tide is going against him to where if you value him, like when I'm seeing him at QB 10, 11, 12 type stuff, be careful. Yes, he's young. You know, yes, he's young. And if he plays, he's going to be productive because he runs around. But that still doesn't mean he has NFL assurances. Scott and I are in a draft right now where Zach Wilson actually fell to oh. the 111 and Scott was able to make a trade to, to get him. And he had just joined the league as uh, taking over in a dispersal draft didn't have a ton of assets and Scott, you've already made a bunch of deals that are looking pretty good. Uh, my next question is which bugs you more? There are two owner types owner one that always sends bad trades, always, always, always. And his players are all good and your players are all bad and you never get a deal done or owner number two, the owner that always sells his players at less than value and never makes an offer to everybody in the league. And in some cases, you don't even get a sniff at the player and then the deal is done and say it's Devontae Adams for three uh, you know, future Debbie picks or something so crazy that you would have easily given a much better deal had they come to you. Which owner do you hate worse? That's funny. I was just talking about this with somebody earlier today about um, you, know, you, you start playing in circles with the same people in multiple leagues. And you know, I'm... I wouldn't say I have a photographic memory, but I do. I, I remember. I remember stuff that, that happens to me or comments that I get. Um, and I think there's a lot of value in being able to get free information uh, from people. Either it's trade reject comments or just things they say in the chat. I mean, it doesn't always help, but there is a way to obtain basically free information from people. Uh, but we were joking about one of the things that drives me crazy is, you know, I'm in some leagues where I'm in the league with the person in six different leagues. And... I know how they're acting and playing in one side and then they're the complete opposite in another league. So it basically tells me right there, they're not really convicted on a process. I'm actually pretty easy to trade with. I'm shrewd because my process is usually giving me a win on the margins almost always. But if you send me an offer 
and I, it's funny because it, you know, in my Patreon chat, you know, I, there's 90 people in there and they are a lot of them playing leagues with me and they kind of know how to push my buttons. You know, they'll send me offers that are kind of up my alley in terms of what I'm trying to achieve. And it makes me at least think, you know, I might not accept it. Um, but they're actually trying to think about what strategy is he thinking of when, before I send this offer, but you get in leagues with people where they're literally playing both sides of the fence against you in two different leagues. So it's like, they don't have any draft picks in this league. Draft picks are are worthless. You know what I mean? They're not going to give you anything for your picks over here. You know, you may have the same pick or the same range pick that they have in the other league. They, they won't move those players or they won't move those picks for anything. And there's, there's no information either. It's just offers that you send, no counters, no comments. It's just a reject. So that drives me crazy more than anything, especially when you get in circles with um, other podcasters or other content creators. Uh, and you know, they're not actually doing what they're speaking on their shows or what they're writing about. You know, they'll say, oh, everyone go out there and buy this player for this. You s- I'm like, okay. I mean, I listen to other people's content just for that. And I'll go out and send them offers. Oh, hey, I'm in a league with that guy. He just said he'll buy this player for a future first, 2023. Okay, let me go send it. Not nah, a decline. Not, you know, not really looking to do that right now. It's like, dude, you just told all your listeners to go make this trade. And so, I mean, there's almost opportunities where you, I'm not the kind of person that's vindictive that's going to post that on social media. But yeah, I think that type of owner just drives me crazy where they're playing both sides and they're not even transparent with what they're doing. It's almost like they're, it has to be in their favor always, or they're not interested. Yeah. I, my favorite thing is to go and when you see someone's rankings, just literally go and, and make a few offers based yeah. on their rankings that are that are divergent from yours. And yet those haven't led to deals for me. And it's the most quizzical thing of... So you, you either sit in you know some some isolated room separate from what you're going to do in your leagues and say, ooh, these are going to be really good rankings. Check this out. And then you put those out. But then there's no actual action plan to that. And, and again, you can be playing the market. You can have a guy ranked higher and you can know that obviously the market, you can extract more from selling or buying a player. That's a different point. And like you said, the... Like to Katie's question, I would just say I am fine with with dog offers. Like really, I mean, those don't bother me at all. I know some people are offended. It's almost like you took 17 seconds of their time or whatever it is out of their life. And like, I can't believe you wasted my precious minutes with this. But yet, like you said, it, it creates opportunities to at least glean information. Are you selling this player? Are you buying a pick? Are you selling a pick? Are you trying to trade up? Are you just bailing on something? So and usually from a counter, if they sent a couple offers, you can glean what that is. But the no, when you send out a bunch of offers and you don't get comments at least of, I always try to send, hey, I'm higher on this player you know, than this offer, or I wouldn't sell this player for the whole package alone. Like You can give some indicators of you're close, you're not close. It's almost like playing guess who. But if they don't give you anything and it just it, it sits there and they decline it, well, I have no information. You know, is the guy wearing glasses? Does the guy have a beard? <laughs> is it, you know, is the guy bald? Like you have no leaders to what, because I always feel this way and it feels like a puzzle of, and you're kind of saying the same thing of there's deals there. I really do feel with any two owners in a league, there's a deal to be had at every single moment. Now, could it be a low level of like this player for a fourth? Absolutely. Could it be a five player, two pronged, you know, consolidation, something, something? All that's possible, but it's like a puzzle to try to find it. Now, we don't have enough time, and I don't think people have enough conversations about it. I'm not saying it's worthwhile, but I, it always kind of irks me because I think there's something there. You might be using the wrong players. You might not know if it's like, well, they value high rookie picks a lot, but not so much mid, you know, third rounders or whatever. It might be this year's picks, but it might not be in the future. It might be one certain, you know, it just might be the certain players you're using. So that's always the part that gets me is it feels like there's always something there, but yet you're not going to use enough offers or enough bandwidth with one single roster to find it, unfortunately. you know, Because like you said, I mean, if you're, if you're in a decent amount of leagues, you just don't got time for that. You kind of have to have your process. Okay, I have six shares of this player and I think they're a sell. Well, let me go send 20, 30, 50 offers. So that's what I'm doing. That's on my to-do list. And yet, or, oh, I, I do want to you know, try to move up from this position in a rookie draft higher or lower or whatever, because now all my, my rookie drafts are going on. You've got Got something to do, but you're not just willy-nilly. Oh, let me open this league. I don't do that very often. It might be a few leagues a week where I'm like, yeah, let me kind of see what my roster is, and you know, is there anything to do here? Exploratory type stuff. Because once you're in, I would say it's more than ten, frankly, for most people. But when you venture into twenty-five, thirty plus, 
what's the phrase? You ain't got time for that. (laughs) You almost have to have a plan. (laughs) And it goes back to um, the idea of uh, it's a, it's a behavioral economics book that I read a little while back. Um, I I don't have the the name on the top of my head, but um, it's a fallacy of where everyone values their own stuff until they don't have it. And then they don't value it as much. And it's almost like you have sentimental items that you value way more than anybody else would. But as soon as it gets taken away from you or you don't have it, you're not going to value it the same way. Um, And I also think, you know, another thing is I will be transparent because I am a content creator, because I'm selling some products, because I'm selling my advice, quite frankly. Uh, There have been times where people have put my feet to the fire and said, okay, you've said to kind of do this and you didn't, you know, another thing is when you're doing a podcast, you don't really have all the time to explain the context behind everything that you say. So there's times where I'll say something and it may not apply to every single league in every single format, but people will put my feet to the fire. You know, they'll say, Hey, I heard you say on your podcast, you're doing this. So let's do it. You know, I'm putting the offer in your inbox and I will be transparent there. And I will explain to people like, Hey, I'm playing this maybe a little bit differently where I would do this if I'm in your shoes, but because of X, Y, and Z, because I'm trying to balance my player shares out uh, or I'm trying to diversify. One thing that I've learned this year is I think the best places to diversify, especially if you're very player agnostic is based on the formats. You know, there are certain formats. I am going to prioritize certain players. Even if I don't like that player better than another player, that's, you know, maybe in the same tier, a point per carry league. I'm not a big fan of this running back class, but that's where I'm targeting my Javante Williams and Najee Harris shares. Cause I think they have extreme value above replacement in a point per carry league uh, in a two tight end league. You know, I'm willing to take Kyle Pitts at like the one Oh two in a rookie draft, because I'd rather get my shares in a place where there's a positional advantage, but I wouldn't say take Kyle Pitts at the one Oh two in a regular draft. If there's no other premium, or even if it's just a 1.5, So I think there's always a nuance to the advice and I will explain it to you. If someone calls me out and says, well, Hey, you're saying to do this, but you didn't do it here. And here's a screenshot or here's a link and explain. Uh, So I always give context. Maybe that's given free information to other people, but I think that's important when there's no context, you're just guessing and it's frustrating. Yeah. That's one thing I do is transparency report. You know, basically every trade I make, you know, that I'm talking about it on some platform, on some show or writing it down, you know, through my trade database that I, I will talk through it. I'll say, this is the format. Here's why I did it. And talk about your misses, talk about your hits and everything in between, because it provides context beyond some tiered list of rankings that I think are very impersonal. You know, even if you put a comment on there, there's only so much you can impose about your opinions and rankings do not equal trade action plans as well. I think it's very difficult to communicate that through just a, a, a listing, you know, a list of players, even with, with comments or highlights or whatever you're attempting to do. Um, but I think that that transparency of talking through your own trades, and that's one thing I had to come through is it's, it's not really a bragging thing. You know, when you make a great trade and you talk about it, but especially when you talk about it when it's fresh, it's not usually a giant win or a giant loss when you're talking about it within a week of doing it. Even if it's in season, you know, if a player gets hurt after you acquired them last week, there's still a lot more gray area for, well, who won this trade? Obviously, three months, six months, 12 months, it becomes a lot more transparent. But I would say talking about it right then is a lot more action-oriented for others. But it also, you can kind of talk about both sides of the trade. Here's why they did it probably. you know, Not that you're going to have them on for an interview every single trade you make, but, but having it just of here was the process and my team situation and, and why it makes sense. And here's why I think it's a win. Like you said, we're operating on the margins. And that doesn't mean you know something that's a plus 15% turns in. It could turn into a plus 100%. Absolutely. But uh, you know, operating in that plus 5, 10, 15% window, you get volume and you start doing that over and over again. That's why we always talk about if you draft just a little bit better NFL teams, right? And in some sort of microcosm, if they start winning or just having more picks, you have more outs, you hit on more players. Even if it's the same percentage, you have six picks in four rounds instead of somebody else having three or four, you have a bit better advantage. And you do that for two or three years in a row, it makes a huge difference. One thing that it just as a comment that it sparked, but when it's the same thing when somebody asks you trade advice and they put it in the context of, well, so-and-so is my wide receiver eight. And so therefore, not only can I afford to lose him, but I can afford to give him at a discount to get that running back that I want. It's like, look, 
This guy has a value based on your format. And don't discount just because you've got a stockpile at that position. Don't offer a discount or at least not out of the gate, maybe in negotiations, but this is what his value is. And you've got to at least try to achieve that value. Now, yeah, you're trying to get a position of need or you're trying to get a rookie pick. And that's the other thing. It's like, but you just got this guy last year at rookie pick X. And now after one year, you're willing to throw him away because the new rookie is here and flashy and all that. And therefore, I'm going to give a discount on the player that I no longer like anymore to get this other player that a year from now, I probably won't like either. You, you probably see a lot of that in your leagues as well. Yeah, I mean, and then people come to me for trade advice all the time. And I feel bad because a lot of times I have to ask 10 questions before I'm comfortable actually giving them advice back. And it's how many teams, how many roster spots, what's the lineup? I don't really even care about your team. If you just tell me the parameters of the league, uh, the depth, the scoring, just give me an idea of what it is. I'll be able to tell you. Because the last thing I want to do is give somebody a process piece of advice. And then the last thing they reply back is, well, you know, I'm a Vikings fan. I really just don't want to trade Justin Jefferson. I'm like, okay, like if there's a, if there's some sort of sentimental value or personal investment that you have in not wanting to make this trade, that's fine. Don't do it. But if you're going to ask me trade advice, I'm going to basically give you as unbiased of a piece of advice as Third I can. Party. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, I'm assuming there is no connections like that because I'm, I'm thinking the same way. You know, I'm big on diversifying. I have a favorite team, but honestly, I, the one thing that I think also makes me um, a, a little, probably a little bit of a bigger advantage in my leagues is I like football, but I think I could be pretty good at dynasty without even watching football. Cause I'm very analytically driven. Um, I diversify a portfolio, almost like stocks. It's like, a, it's like a day trader. They don't need to know a lot about a company. They can look at the trends of companies or maybe some specific financial numbers and just make decisions based on that. So I'm, I'm very disconnected to players and getting attached to players. You know, I'll get, I'm more into just, you know, what's it say on paper? And I'll just make constant bets over and over and over. You know, this is a 30, 30, 70 bet. Do I want to make it? That's how I look at things. So sometimes that's, that's disconnected with people and then they, they are turned away. I know there's people that have asked my advice and I've said, do this. I look back in a month, I, they asked me another piece of advice and they didn't make the move. I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. Um, but that's kind of where I'm coming at it. And I think some people don't relate to that. You know, if you're in this for the fun and you're in this to root for your favorite players uh, and, and maybe not get players that, you know, are, you don't like or not on your teams or have some sort of, you know, moral issues that you don't want to roster. I mean, there's tons of different nuances of why people play and I'm about as separated from that as you can be. So I think that's an advantage, especially when you're playing in a lot of leagues. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show about Chase Claypool being one of my guys that I really didn't have enough shares, you know, and I think that that was, again, short-sighted on my part and definitely one when you look back. Um, for you in the last, I don't know, two or three classes, are, is there a player or players that, whether it's good or bad, you know, that I thought they'd stink, you know, I thought they were overrated, they ended up turning out, or I thought they were underrated, I got plenty of shares, and they haven't worked out so far, or I'm not liking the trajectory there are they're on. Is there someone that kind of fits that? Are there lessons you've taken from that that you're kind of putting towards 2021 plus um, with those specific players? Yeah, so I'll point out one. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, when you get into wide receivers, you know, that's one of my big things is wide receivers really don't matter. They just don't. Outside of the difference makers, they don't matter. And I think we're also under the impression you hear it all the time. We'll take the receiver over the running back because they're going to last longer. And that generally... That's true in two scenarios. If they are like seen as an alpha receiver that's consistently producing at the top, they're going to last for a while. Even if their career deteriorates and they go down a notch or two, they're still going to be in the NFL. They're going to have decent long careers. Uh, but you look at how saturated the wide receiver landscape is right now. If you are a wide receiver 40 in Dynasty, just because you had a decent profile, if this is your third or fourth year and you don't take a step up, you are going to get replaced. You're going to have somebody with a similar profile that's going to be available. And the team is just going to, they're just going to draft over you. Now you may still have a decent career, but you know, these guys that are, you know, 24 years old, take somebody like Christian Kirk. I love Christian Kirk. I still like Christian Kirk. I still think he can be good. I thought it was misused big time last year, but one of the outcomes for Christian Kirk is there's just a better Christian Kirk that they get. And that can happen this year. And then what? 
So yeah, he's young. Yeah, he's technically wide receiver four, but he is he literally has very little security. He doesn't matter. So right? he he has one of the guys. Weird. He has he it, has some dynasty value, but he doesn't mean anything. Exactly, exactly. And it's you know you get into the same thing this year. Rookie drafts. You're at the end of the first round. You know people will say, is this receiver worth the 108, the 109, the 110? In a vacuum, they might be. If you want to trade the 110 for Brandon Ayuk, cool. If you like Brandon Ayuk, perfect. But the numbers say, guess what? There's only 12 first round picks and there's probably 30 to 40 receivers that potentially could fit into that range. So the scarcity is always going to be on that side. And that's true for receivers. So one, to answer your initial question, um, one of the guys I still would be fine buying and he's super cheap uh, is KJ Hamler. Was huge on KJ Hamler. I, I, he'd be one of those profiles that had he come into the league like two years earlier when the receivers were really depleted, like 2016, 2017, could have been a guy that was a fringe first round pick, early second round pick, probably based on his profile. But then he lands in a bad spot. But if you literally just separate some of the bias in the landing spot from KJ Hamler's profile, it matches up with guys that we're going to take in the top 15 picks this year. And I still like him. You know, someone said the other day, well, KJ Hamler will never be a thing on the Broncos. Look at all the competition. I go, well, what if, what if he just ends up maybe, and maybe it has to be some luck on his side? but there's still like a 25% chance he might be better than Jerry Judy. There's, there's a chance. So why wouldn't you invest in him at 120th of the cost of Jerry Judy if you're talking about a range where quote-unquote receivers don't matter? You know what I mean? I'd rather trade Jerry Judy for the 110 or the 111. Then I can maybe maneuver myself in a place where I can get a true positional advantage and not just a placeholder. Yeah, there's too many young guys and there's too many guys, like you said, between... Mis- misplaced or mislabeled for moments in time. Wide receiver one's in the NFL. Wide receiver two, doesn't matter unless you're on an elite team. Wide receiver three, four, oh, you might do something one random week, best ball specials only, which basically means you're alive and you're on a depth chart and maybe you catch a touchdown or two and it's your best game of the season and you can encapsulate that in a best ball league. Um, but yeah, Christian Kirk's a great example. I mean, you know, they keep bringing in guys, right? They drafted Andy Isabella. They bring in DeAndre Hopkins. They, you know, we thought that he just had to outlast Larry Fitzgerald. Now they bring in AJ Green as well. They're probably going to add a tight end of, of some note you know, at some point, but it's like, yeah, you just keep, like you said, good player, but what does that really mean? And, and yeah, Hamler was one that the, the comps for me were very nice, but yet it's like, he's going so late. It was like a, a draft equity profile bet where you're like, this stinks, this, this, this depth chart, this landing spot stinks to high heaven. But what if Judy gets hurt this year, Sutton's gone next year. It's a lot more open, but like you said, you're just making a bet on he's better than whatever the situation might produce for him with quarterback competition for targets, et cetera. Maybe it turns into 2022, 2023 to actually have that come to fruition. But in terms of, like you mentioned, an aggregate bet, it makes a lot of sense. I've got one last question for you, Scott. Um, Right now I'm in 35 leagues. I've cut that back at one point. I think my max was 52, but I kept all of mine on MFL because you can search the waiver wire. You can search for a player and find out if they're on the waiver wire, if they're on somebody else's team and immediately run through and figure out, you know, who do I need to trade off or, or what do I need to bid on them? How many different sites are all of your leagues on and how do you manage just briefly? How do you manage that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you. I think um, I play 50 of my 55 leagues are on MFL. Um, I have three leagues in sleeper that are, yeah, if I could, I probably should look to probably just selling those teams at some point, but they're, they're ones I like. It's one of the things I like about some of the other platforms is it truthfully, I don't leave the sleeper leagues because I almost feel like the, the people in the sleeper leagues are playing in a different realm than we are generally. Like there's people over there that I've never heard of. I've never seen, they don't even know who I am. So I'm like, I'm, I like, I like playing against different people. So that's why I stay in those leagues because I, even though my, my name literally is my Twitter handle, uh, I think there's people that have no idea that, I mean, they could probably get everything. If you play against me, all my strategy and process is typically there. If it's not on my Twitter or on my regular podcast, it's on the Patreon channel. So yeah, I have some sleeper leagues, FFPC, uh, and then MFL. And I do track all of them on a spreadsheet. Um, I'm, I'm fairly savvy with Excel functions and stuff. So I can, you know, have my rosters basically populated and, you know, different functions to count how many shares. Uh, but I think that's important, you know, especially when you get into 55 dynasty leagues. Um, I'm doing another probably 30 FFPC redraft leagues uh, across the 
you know, entire landscape of this summer. So I'm setting, you know, 80, 100 lineups a week. There has to, you have to have a process. You cannot just haphazardly wake up and say, okay, I have three hours to scroll through as many as I can. And let's just make sure I get one in. You know, I see people saying, well, I'm in 50 leagues and, you know, I forgot to set six of the lineups or I missed this inactive. I'm like, no, you're just giving away money and you're just giving away points when you do that. So I've set up a pretty meticulous system to track everything, make sure I don't miss anything. It takes time, um, but time is money. So yeah, I mean, I try to concentrate it though. I'm not a, I've cut every other league out on different sites for the same reason. I like having them all in one spot. Do you, one thing I, I keep putting in and I, I'd be curious on your interest level for this because they have a really nice hyperlink for every league on MFL that you can just add, right? It goes right to the page. It highlights the player and you can put in a bid or pick them up first come first serve if they're available and you tr- you search each player. I said that when it shows as they're they're being owned on a roster already, wouldn't it be great if there was a hyperlink to that that team that you could it goes to the page of where you're going to actually submit an offer? That would be unlocking things, you know, or you know that mo- most traded player page, things like that. Where I don't think MFL really, I'm going to say caters again. I love MFL for a lot of reasons. I know some people that are really into the optics of it or a lot of the granular coding and programming stuff say that you know they really haven't updated things in a long time and it's long overdue and all this stuff. Um, I don't get into the weeds for that. That doesn't really bother me. But you know, for people that are in even three, five, eight leagues, I would imagine a lot of this connectivity stuff of now I can, with three clicks, send offers and don't have to click through, okay, what team were they on? Okay, I got to remember, go to my trade page. I think there's a lot like that that volume players like us would really appreciate where it's connected. And I think they've done that with the with the waiver wire, but I, I think there's still some ways to go with trading and some of these other avenues towards what am I going to do about this when I see that a player is or is not available in you know 20 out of 50 leagues or something like that. Um, why don't you leave us, Scott? My last question was going to be something regarding, you've already said, the danger of late day two, early day three running backs. And that's going to be a focal point, a theme for you this year with the rookie class. Is there something else? Is it a specific player, a specific profile, something going into the NFL draft that you are monitoring specifically with, with that's going to affect your action plan across your dynasty leagues? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think this is a class that it's interesting because this class has been hyped up for probably six months. Uh, the more that I look at it right now, I actually think it's a pretty poor class because typically, I mean, after the quarterbacks, typically quarterbacks and running backs drive the strength of draft classes. If you tell me a class is great at wide receiver, my first thought is I'm probably going to fade it. If that's all that the strength is, if that's what it's made up of. Um, and just kind of going through and doing mock drafts and talking to people about, you know, how do you see tiers? Um, I really, really think that even though there's going to be a lot of receivers that go, I was looking at grinding the mocks. I think they have 17 receivers going on day two right now. So there's going to be a lot of receivers that are going to get draft capital that we're going to say, okay, that's, that's maybe worth the top two round, top two and a half, three round pick. Um, I would actually say that I'm working on another model right now that not only factors in um, a lot of the analytical and production data, but I'm also trying to work on a market value model. So it's heavily weighting age. It's also heavily weighting, you know, there's some great threads on Twitter that actually deconstruct like what, what positional finishes look like historically. And so I'm working on something called like an alpha rating that is trying to figure out, I may be taking a risky profile. I'll throw out two names. Uh, Terrace Marshall is one and Seth Williams is another. Risky prospects, especially Seth Williams. But I think I could tell myself a story based on their profile that if, if you give them, this is a lofty goal, but if you give them Terry McLaurin's rookie year, I could see a range of outcomes where they are a top five receiver in dynasty just because of what they bring to the table. Height, weight, speed, age. All of those things are boxes are checked and they have some Debbie pedigree. So they have everything except for that production. So I'm looking at those guys and saying, I'm going to be real meticulous with what receivers I draft, especially in this massive wide receiver tier. You know, not to, not to crap on a guy like Devontae Smith. If I give you Devontae Smith's first year is Terry McLaurin, I don't think the community will ever see him as a top 10 receiver no matter what he does. He would have to do it two or three years straight before people would say, this guy is a legit alpha receiver. I'll trade you a three ROI for him next year to do it. So I think it really being looking at these profiles and there's a lot of profiles that are undesirable, even if they get top 50 draft capital, even if they get a Green Bay or a Kansas City landing spot. 
you know, there's just some landmines when it comes to actually players that could profile as, because again, with wide receivers don't matter, right? If you hit on a guy like Terrace Marshall and you can trade him for two first rounders next year and a decent receiver, you're probably going to take that unless you just believe he has a career arc that's like Hall of Fame. You know, you're going to trade those receivers because very few of them actually spike to a level where you can profit. So I'm looking at guys like that's how I'm playing the receiver position. If I'm lacking production at receiver and I'm going into the draft saying, man, I need receivers. If I look at your team and you need receivers, you're probably not winning because they're so hard. They're so easy to get. If you don't have any, what are you doing? So just to be real meticulous with your draft picks. So I'm looking for pivots. Uh, can I pivot from second round picks into 2023 picks? I think that's going to be another running back class that looks like 2017 or 2020. So savvy moves. You know, I'm not going to, no one's going to give me a 2023 first for a 206. But is there another positional pivot that I can try? Maybe two guys that I think have similar range of outcomes and maybe hide that pick in there. So just be cognizant of what receivers you draft. This is being billed as a great receiver class with a ton of guys that go in good places in the NFL draft. Um, I think there's a lot of landmines in this class. So I'll just say that. Yeah, the thing, the, a couple of things you said. First of all, I almost spit out my water. And this is, I'm not your target audience to, to, for shock value there, but you said Terrace Marshall, like you, you alluded to him like he's undervalued. He's my wide receiver too. So, yep. like, the, how he graded in this class, like, and he's really one that October, I was not thinking of him how I, how I thought of him today. And he's, you mentioned grinding the mocks. He's kind of trending towards round one. And I don't think a lot of people right now are tracking that. Not that, that many dynasty leagues have an action plan right now of a rookie draft or something to actually, put that into fruition and put that into action. But so that was one thing <laughs> that you said, Terrace Marshall, I was like, Oh yeah, underrated guy. Um, but, but I think he is, you know, in the market. And the other thing is you said coming home as an alpha wide receiver, how many are actually going to matter? And they're such slow starters. I mean, yes, you get some year one pops a little bit, you get some year two pops, but people are impatient. So how, how long are you going to have this albatross on your wide receiver, seven, eight, nine spectrum of saying, boy, I hope maybe the number one on the team gets hurt. Boy, I hope he's better, you know, and he was drafted 47 overall, but I hope the team views him as the, the next great guy, you know, that they're going to let somebody go, you know, and then he's just going to come onto the scene. Does he have that combo of passing game and quarterback? And then everything's just going to open the floodgates, you know, for 120 plus targets. You're really trying to sharpshoot. And, and that's a tough avenue. Like you said, like if you just buy in and you're like, all right, I, I have two first rounders. Those are wide receivers. I got 202. I better take wide receiver because that's where, you know, the draft capital is. And then 208, ah, best player available again is a wide receiver. And it's just like you look at your team later and you're like, well, what am I doing? You know, I'm sitting there week four. And uh, you mentioned Terry McLaurin. Good if they if they start producing. If it's anything like 2020, every week we'll just we'll just uh, shop around like Twitter, right? Oh, this is the wide receiver one in Dynasty because he's 22 and he just produced a big game. Three weeks later, he's going to be wide receiver 10. But for right now, he's wide receiver one, and uh, he's bulletproof. And it's going to take half your roster to to trade for him. And don't you dare give him away because you're giving up, you know, the next Odell Beckham with five straight years or whatever it was with with top 10 production. So good. So good luck is what I would say. Um, Scott, where can we find you? What are you working on? Uh, what have you recently put out uh, that you can direct folks towards? Yeah, so appreciate both of you having me. Uh, good discussion. Uh, love listening to the show. Been a listener since the beginning, uh, or at least since I started listening to podcasts. So appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you can find me at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Uh, Dynasty and Chill is my podcast. Uh, the handle is at Dynasty Chill Pod. Uh, I do write for DLF. We just dropped a massive draft guide. Um, I had a, quite a few pieces that was put in there. So that comes with your subscription. If you have a subscription to DLF, um, uh, you did mention chasing the helmet. So we do have a, uh, a high stakes redraft podcast that we go from like early May till the end of the season. So that'll be launching here shortly. Uh, we mostly talk redraft, uh, but it is almost all FFPC. So, you know, if you want to kind of get my thoughts on roster construction and scoring balance and stuff, there is some of that on there. So that's uh, chasing the helmet podcast. And then, uh, I did write the chapter in analytics of dynasty uh, with Jordan uh, on tight ends. And you talked about it at the beginning with uh, tight ends and just looking at tight end values in the flex, you know, when does it make sense to basically continue to hit them regardless of what your starting rosters are. Uh, so check that out. There's a pretty good matrix in there that basically says tight end premium doesn't really mean you should put a premium value on them until you get to certain thresholds, you know, so read that, check it out. Uh, it was a good piece that uh, hopefully get people get some, uh, something out of if they're doing one of those heavy premium startups. So yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. 
Excellent, excellent stuff. Katie's on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler399. Uh, I'm at Chad Parsons NFL. Reminder about recent UTH content. I put out a situational exploitation series over at UTH. Become a general manager subscriber. You get things like that. I also did about a eight to 10 part uh, dynasty trading series uh, that's evergreen. Uh, didn't really talk about players, talked about profiles, talked about strategies. And, and Scott did that a lot in this episode where if you're in an existing league, you, you have the waiver wire but you have trading and you have the annual draft. And trading is a lot more of the calendar than your annual draft because you want to trade those picks as capital. Uh, but the trading element of sculpting existing teams is really underrated. And that's probably the element, the toolbox I see folks lacking the most in terms of A, confidence and B, execution of what their objectives are within the space of hundreds of players and assets in your given league. And you start multiplying that within your league. So go back. Uh, what I always tell new subscribers is you can go back. I think that was from uh, February timeframe, but evergreen, you know, I'll spruce them up. I'll edit them if needed for future years. But building on that uh, series is really a fundamental one that I point folks to. And we don't have advertising on this show. So if you want to support it, you can find Tim Torch and myself doing a weekly feature show as well as some other bonus content over at patreon.com slash UTH. Thanks to Scott Connor for coming on. Katie Flower as well. I am Chad Parsons. Until next time, never settle. Refuse to be average. And keep building those dynasties. <laughs> 